my name is Kieran Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast about the biggest movies of the 2000s. Before we get into this week's episode, though, what have you been watching, Kieran? I feel like it's been a few weeks since we've done a, a bit of a recap. So, in the last little while, I've. So, I. Well, okay, so I started watching Fall of the House of Usher. And so, what, like, what do you know about that show? Or, like, what have you seen about that show? I've seen one of my friends has watched it and really liked it, but that's about it. I don't know. Is it supposed to be scary? Is it? Well, yeah. So like, it's all based on like Fall of the House of Usher is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. And all of the episodes are like inspired by other short stories of Edgar Allan Poe, right? So like there's one on like the Telltale Heart. There's one on the Raven, things like that. Um, I'm a big, big fan of Mike Flanagan who like, created the show like he directs okay. half the episodes but he like wrote and creates the show um he makes a lot of like well in the last few years he's made a lot of these netflix miniseries every october so like he made the haunting of hill house he made midnight mass i recognize made, those yeah, names yeah like every every october netflix release a like eight episode miniseries that he more or less fully creates and they're often like inspired by classic horror books or, 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 you know, multiple books or whatever, you know what I mean? Things like that. Like he did the haunting of blind manor, which was, I think two or three Henry James novels sort of like rolled into one. Um, but then he also like goes off in his own directions. Like he has his own ideas, right? So like the haunting of Hill house is obviously a Shirley Jackson novel and like quite quite a famous Shirley Jackson horror novel, but like he puts way more stuff in to the story. So like that's that's his like starting place, and then he's sort of like okay, I want to talk about this idea, explore that idea, things like that, right? And so he like finds a way to weave them all together. This is his fourth mini series, okay. Right? So, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, and now The Fall of the House of Usher. Those are mini series, right? He did this one last year. Um, oh, what was it called? Like the Midnight Club or something like that. And that was supposed to be an ongoing series, but it didn't do that well. So Netflix canceled it after the first season. And so with that as the exception, I tend to find that his mini series are like really great. Fall of the House of Usher is a little uneven. Okay. It's a little uneven. And I think it's a little uneven because it has the unfortunate timing of coming out in a post-succession timeline. Okay. Post-succession world. Because, like, succession is doing or has done what Fall of the House of Usher is basically trying to do more or less similarly. Succession has a lot of Fall of the House of Usher in it, which is why, like, it's so easy to see the comparison points between the two of them. And so, like, he's obviously wanted to do this story for a long time and probably been dreaming of doing this story for a long time and working on making it all come together. Cause like every episode is basically a different short story. Right. And so it all needs to come together well, but it's sort of just like, yeah, like if this had come out, if this had been the first one, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more because it would have been four years earlier. And, you know, I wouldn't have sat through like the perfection of succession. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, like so far it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Of the four miniseries, like it's definitely better than Midnight Club. Midnight Club, unfortunately, like he didn't really finish the story that he wanted to tell. 
because it got canceled. So like, you know, you sort of put that one aside. This will probably, barring any sort of like late end of miniseries twists and turns and like shocking moments, this will probably be number four on my list. Okay. Um, But the other three are like wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> like The Haunting... Do you, have, do you have a favorite of the, the three? The Haunting of Hill House. Like I've watched all of them twice because... I got onto them when Bly Manor was coming out, which was the second one. And so then I was like, okay, well, I missed Hill House. So I'll watch Hill House and then I'll watch Bly Manor. Loved both of them. Then Midnight Mass was coming out the next year. And I was like, okay, well, like, kind of want to watch. Kind of get me in the mood the again. The first two again. Yeah. And so then I did that. And then um, I've just gone back and watched Midnight Mass again. So I've watched them all about two or three times each. And um, they're just like they're just so good because they do work as horror uh, miniseries. Like you, there are moments where you're genuinely terrified, but then it is that thing of like, wow, like there was a lot more going on there than just wanting to scare me. Yeah. Um, okay. And so yeah, all three of those—they're not for you. No, they're not for you because they're quite literally like eight-hour horror movies. <laughs> Um, so they're you, probably it, not for you. No. And you're trying real hard for me to watch an hour and 40 minute yeah, one yeah, yeah. soon. But, so. the, but the, but the fall of the house washer one may be worth checking out because it's like, yes, while there are things in there that are creepy and like there are ghosts and sort of things moving around and whatnot, it's not, this one's not really about wanting to be scary. Okay. This one is, you know. It's and maybe that's why I'm not necessarily reacting it. reacting to it the way that I maybe did with the other ones, um, because I do I, like he is such a good horror director. Like most of the movies that he's made, um, I've loved, and um, but this this one's not really like that. So this one might be worth checking out. So even though there's like an Edgar Allan Poe tint to everything and and slant, where it's sort of like yeah, the the stories are creepy. Like, yeah. you know, there's supernatural stuff going on and like they're creepy. It's not really about wanting to scare you in the way that some of the other shows have been. Okay. Yeah. What about yourself? What have you been watching this week? So Briar's been sick this week, so I haven't really got to watch a whole lot. Um, I did get to watch The Light We Carry, which is about with Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey. Was uh, it a documentary? It's them having the last night of Michelle Obama's like book tour and they just oh, sit and chat oh, about that. Okay. Um, so complete... that's, that's when they were on tour together, right? And she was interviewing her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is all about their, the, her second book, Michelle's second book. Um, so completely different than what you've been watching because it was just, it was so nice and light and just easy to watch. Um, but I have been listening to an audiobook that me and you had set a challenge for ourselves. I don't know, six months ago. For us to read Pride and Prejudice. And I'm slowly trucking away on it. <laughs> set, set that challenge. I did that challenge. That's over. That challenge is done. I am slowly making my way through it. So, because I tried to read the book and couldn't get into the writing. I found it really hard to get into the writing. And then we were going away for a long weekend about a month ago. And we were driving and I was like, oh, perfect. I'll download the audiobook and I'll listen to it on the drive. It's like six or it was like a 12 hour drive kind of there and back and stuff. And I was like, perfect. I can listen to the audiobook. You Still, subjected the entire car. To no, no. I had purchase. headphones on. Okay. I had headphones okay. on. Chris was listening to his own podcast about something. Briar was sleeping. And so I was trying to listen to the audiobook. And even on the audiobook, I'm still getting a bit confused. But like 
Well, I'm I, over halfway through now, so like I, I'm well, gonna finish it. That's the turning point. Though. I remember saying to you, you "Gotta get like halfway." It sort of flips, yeah. and that's when I was sort of like, "Oh, okay." And then like I devoured the second half yeah. of the book, but that that first half was tough. Yeah. So like the I'm first still, half was definitely I'm tough. Still making my way through this book, so my goal is to have it done by the end of the year, and at this rate. I might just make it. <laughs> well, so speaking of books, this, I'll do this quickly and then we can move on because we've already, we've been chastised about this is not a book podcast, <laughs> yes. but um, this week I watched The Exorcist 3 for the first time. I'd never seen it before. Um, watched it for the first time, really liked it. I was like, yeah, that's, you know what I mean? Like there's a new Exorcist movie out in the movie theaters. I'm probably not going to go see it. It looks awful. It looks so bad. Um but I was like, I'll go back and I'll watch this one that people have been like, yeah, this is definitely the second best in the okay. series. So I went back, watched it, loved it. I had a plan to read The Exorcist this October before I watched the movie. And so when I watched number three, I was like, okay, now it's time to start the book. And so I was reading the book the other night <laughs> and it was like, I don't know, like 1130. Like it was pitch black. You know, I had my bedside light on obviously but like dark that, that was it that was <laughs> yeah. it was dark could not see a thing anywhere um it was pretty quiet out all that sort of stuff i was getting really into the book and like i know what the story is so like i know where all the scary bits happen but there is still that there's still that part of me or i, I wonder if other people feel this as well when it's sort of like Every time I watch the movie or, you know, now that I'm reading the book, like, even though I'm at a part that I know nothing happens, I'm still, like, projecting forward to be like, oh, yeah, like, just around the corner. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, like, you still get that sort of excitement. And, like, In two more minutes, I know this is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Exactly. And so, I, like, I was reading a part of the book that wasn't necessarily that scary. Nothing was really happening. But it was so quiet. And then I just heard this crash go through my apartment. And I just bolted up. <laughs> but then, like, you do that thing where you, like, move really quickly. And, like, you, like, sit up really, really quickly. But then, like, you get paralyzed a little bit. And then you, like, can't move. Yeah. And then you just wait there to see if, like, is there going to be another noise? Like, what's, you know what I mean? And uh, I eventually realized that there, well, I, I knew this already. But there was, there's an air shaft through my apartment and through the kitchen where there's a vent for, for air to get out. And on the roof, there are squirrels. And I think those fuckers threw something down the, <laughs> down the air vent because it just came crashing down and like so much noise in the darkness while I was reading The Exorcist. And uh, I put the book down that night. Yeah. I didn't read it again that night, but I have gone back because I'm going to finish it. But yeah. It was sort of like, yeah, you couldn't have timed that any better. Couldn't have timed that any better. Well, they could have. They could have waited for a truly actual scary moment. Maybe. Of, Maybe. So. It's obviously their revenge. I've had battles with them all year. Yeah. Them coming on and stealing my vegetables. And so, yeah, this is obviously Well, they did make revenge. a nest on your porch last yeah, that's winter, not, right? Yeah, that's not happening this year. I'm so. prepared. Okay. I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm fighting to the death this year. So we can move on out of the books into the movies. And so this week we sort of teased it a little bit last week that it was going to be a move or it was going to be a music centric movie this week, and so obviously the movie we're talking about is the Coen Brothers' "Oh Brother Where Art Thou." Uh, so we're going back to June fifteenth, two thousand and one. That's when 
this movie would have come out on DVD. And to be honest, if I can remember correctly, I don't think it would have been very long after this that we would have seen this movie. Because I remember getting a hold of this thing pretty quickly. So... A lot of the movies that we talk about are either first watches for me or ones I honestly don't remember. I remember this movie. Oh, yeah. I, like, as it started and stuff and some of the songs or some of the bits that they do, I was like, I actually remember you. And I haven't seen this movie probably since... 2001. 2001 yeah, yeah. or something. Like, so... Well, now, okay, so now you say that you remember it, do you, but did you remember scenes from the movie or did you remember the music from the movie a bit of both okay a bit of both most of the scenes that are really tied in with the music okay okay those are the ones that like were really stuck in my brain and i could totally remember them the end of the movie couldn't remember how it finished at all um but yeah most of the scenes i i could totally remember i then tried to figure out this might be my first coen brothers well, so that's what I was going to ask you here. So I was going to ask you how many, this is your first Coen Brothers, but is it your only Coen Brothers? I think so. So you've never seen anything else from them? No, because I tried to pull the, like their list up and there's definitely ones that like, obviously I've heard talk about, Yeah. but I don't think I've seen any of them. So which ones, when you were pulling up the list, which ones maybe like jumped out to you a little bit? Because I've more or less seen all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Are Coen Brothers a favorite? I love the Coen Brothers. I like, we'll get into them in a second here, but yeah, like which ones did you sort of, which ones jumped out to you? Which ones did you reading and you're sort of like, that sounds cool. So not even see sounds cool. Just like, oh, I know I've heard talk about you before. So like No Country for Old Men. Yeah. uh, True Grit, Fargo, uh, Big Lebowski, like all those. I was just like, oh yeah. And then. Hail Caesar, which is... That's a newer one. A newer one. Yeah. But yeah, so all of those, I was just like, I don't know if maybe when they came out, I just wasn't in the right age to watch them or whatever. Like, I don't know how I've missed all of those, well, but... Fargo came out in like 1996. Yeah. So, I was three. Yeah. I don't really expect you to be on the Fargo train. <laughs> At three? At three. Um, I, I probably wasn't... I definitely watched Fargo too, like too young. Yeah. We're sort of like, I don't really get it, but I still liked it. But there's a lot of movies that I remember like, like I remember watching Reservoir Dogs when I was too young, like sort of just sort of being like, I don't, I don't really get this. Yeah. And then needing to go back years later and be like, oh, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. Far- Fargo was a little bit similar to that where it was sort of like, I think I watched Fargo when I was like 10 and sort of being like, hmm, okay. But then going back at 12 and be like, oh, fuck. Wow, that's really good. So two two years, <laughs> two years makes yeah, a difference. It's a big two years, though. It's a big two years. Um, yeah, Far- Fargo is my favorite Coen Brothers. Really? Yeah, Fargo is okay. my favorite. And so, like, we can get into a little bit here. So, like, one of the, the things that I love about the Coen Brothers movies is that you kind of never know which way it's gonna lean. Okay. So, like, they 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 tend to make either like very very serious, like hard boiled dramas sort of like no country for old men like not a lot of laughs in that movie yeah you know what i mean like there are if you kind of know the coen brothers language a little bit where it's sort of like they get these weird they like it might create, be like a little chuckle or something well they, yeah. they, they create these like weird side characters where you're sort of like uh like that person's funny but like okay. but it's not a funny movie you know what i mean so there's there's things like that there's things like blood simple blood simple is kind of scary actually in points um that's their first one. 
Miller's Crossing, we were talking last week um, during Gangs of New York about like Irish gangsters. Yeah. And I remember watching Miller's Crossing because it was about Irish gangsters at like prohibition time. And again, probably just being a little too young and sort of being like, well, I don't really get it. Um, so Miller's Crossing has been on my list of like, I need to rewatch this for a very long time. And um, I might I might cross that off the list in November. Yeah. For November. Oh. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I have to make a list of things I want to accomplish. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they either make like those types of movies or they make like very, very sort of like broad slapstick comedies and so like they'll make something like burn after reading or raising arizona which like you actually may want to check out yeah yeah well so raising arizona is about this like <laughs> it's about this couple it stars your favorite guy nicholas cage your favorite actor um but it's about this couple who like can't have a kid and then in their state i i it's not in Arizona. where is it in like new mexico or something like that um there's a family who have like eight kids, whatever that is, like octuplets or whatever. Yeah. And so these two just go steal one because they're like, what? well, they have enough. <laughs> and, and okay. So like, the whole movie is them trying to like keep this kid. Um, but everybody that they've kidnapped. That they've kidnapped. But like okay. everybody in the state, because the, the kids are famous, everyone in the state is looking for this kid. And so it's like, they just go to like extreme lengths, but it is like so wacky and so wild. Um, it's like, it's wonderful. It's so, so good and so, so funny. And like, it's sort of, it's one of these movies that like starts at a hundred miles an hour and never, ever slows down. Okay. Um, and so you're kind of exhausted by the end of the movie, but like, it's a really good time. Um, and so like, yeah, so like they make these like super, super serious movies or very, very comedic movies, but then they sometimes thread the needle and they, they make these movies where it's sort of like, that's really serious, but it's also wildly funny. Okay. And so that's where something like Fargo falls in, where it's like, there's a lot of funny things in Fargo, but it's not necessarily a funny movie. Like, it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Um, or like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, It's not like a traditionally funny movie? It's or? not a traditionally funny movie. Like, the, it's not necessarily jokes, but the way that they write the characters, you're just like, that is fucking funny. Okay. Like, that okay. is so funny. And so something like Fargo, The Big Lebowski to a little bit, I have a lot of friends who love the Big Lebowski and I'm pretty infamous in our group for not loving it all that much. Uh, but I can like point to it and be like, yeah, like they're, you know what I mean? Okay. The Big Lebowski is a like crime noir movie with a pothead lazy loser at the center of it. Like he, okay. you know what I mean? Like it, it should be a like, you know, detective novel, but you've just got the worst detective as the main character. I'm like, yeah. that's the funny thing is okay. that this guy is a loser. Um, and so it's like that they sometimes do that. And you're sort of like, I don't know where, and that's what makes it exciting. Cause you're sort of like, I just don't know where this is going. And so like, you can constantly go back to their movies and mine them for more entertainment or more jokes or more, you know, yeah. whatever it is, because there's always so much going on. Do they always work together? Because it's always like the Cohen brothers. Yeah. So they had for like 40 years. Okay. And now they are working separate. Oh. And so I don't necessarily know if they fell out or what happened there. Or they just want to try something different. Or they just want to try something different. I don't know. Like they seem to be quite simpatico, obviously, for a very long time. Like 
I think the idea or the understanding was that they both wrote the scripts and they both directed the movies, but that Ethan got credit for the scripts and Joel gets credit for the direction. But now they've gone off and Joel ended up making the Tragedy of Macbeth movie that came out a year or two ago. Yeah. uh, With Denzel Washington in it. And Ethan Cohen has a movie, I think coming out this year. Oh, what's it called? I'll have to look this up here. Drive Away Dolls? Yes, Drive Away Dolls. Next year, 2024. 2024, okay. It looks okay, but like it doesn't necessarily look that great either. You know what I mean? Like the two of them together have set sort of such a high bar of like the movies that I don't like of theirs are still like six out of ten. Oh, okay. So still like. like, They're still really good. Um, And so you're sort of like. What are you guys doing? Like So like you haven't seen anything in the news? Like I don't or, really care uh, okay. to read anything okay. in the news. So that's I as, would just be curious. That's a, as well a little bit. Like if they want to work separate, then they like, you know, go on ahead. It just means that maybe I'll get two Coen Brother movies a year instead of one. So like But would you get two duds as opposed to a really well, good that, one? That's you know, that's maybe the thing. And like they are quite infamous or famous for like having written scripts. And then realizing the movies aren't that great. And then like handing them off to other people. Oh, okay. Um, And so like there was one, um, I went to TIFF a few years ago and it was a George Clooney movie. They worked George Clooney quite a bit. And it was a George Clooney movie called Suburbicon. And just being like, oh, so this is a George Clooney directed movie written by the Coen brothers. Like, yes, I'm absolutely going. Sounds awesome. Yeah. And like 20 minutes in, I was like, could I, like, if I walked out of here, would anyone <laughs> notice me? Like, it was so bad. It was oh. so, so bad. And so, like, you're sort of like, do they need each other to keep the balance? And sort of like, you know, uh, sort of a quality control. Like, if one pitches something to the other and the other one's sort of like, eh, that's not great. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, do they need that to, to sort of level each other out? Or, like, who knows? I don't really want to say anything about Drive Away Dolls without having seen it. But from the trailer, it's sort of like, oh, uh, this is like, I've seen this movie a dozen times. Okay. You know what I mean? So we'll see. We'll see. With Oh Brother, though, I think like it just needs to be said, like this is Homer's Odyssey. It says it in the credits. Yeah, which I don't remember. I didn't remember that until it appeared. Well, you would have been like six. Yeah. <laughs> probably the first time you saw this. So like, I'm not expecting you to retain that knowledge. Um, but obviously, like you have studied classics you've studied history when it comes to classics on screen do you prefer a movie like this where it's sort of like yeah this is heavily inspired by the homer's odyssey and like the classics and like you know if you know that story you can point to characters in this one be like well that's obviously this character and so on and so on or do you prefer something like troy where it's sort of just like we're just gonna make this movie and it's gonna be like kind of a straight retelling of what the story is so it's maybe not the best answer. I I enjoy both. I think telling the story in this way, so Old Brother's way, makes it more accessible to everybody because you can just kind of enjoy the film and if you were interested in it, you're able to then go on and do a bit more reading about it. So we just had a conversation with Chris about it being like, what were the big things of the Odyssey? Like what were the obstacles? And so he was listing out some of them and I was like, oh, that's that character and oh that was that scene and stuff and so making the connections but then I also really enjoy historical movies like Troy that just tell the history so it is it just depends on kind of who does it and what way they want to do it 
I think like there's obviously other examples we can sort of pick out if we really wanted to or needed yeah. to. But like <laughs> just to stick with these two movies, I find that like Oh Brother, Oh Brother is better. It's a better movie. It's yeah. made by better filmmakers, all that sort of stuff. I think it's way more like creative. But then you get something like Troy where you're just like, God, that is such a good like guilty pleasure. If yeah. You, if you believe in guilty pleasures. You mean like for a while there, that was like my sick day movie where sort of really? like, you can put it on and like you can quite literally fall asleep <laughs> and like you're not missing much. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think for me, it depends maybe a bit on the story. So like Troy has the big battles. You couldn't do a battle in the old brother way. Like they're right. Yeah. And stuff. So yeah, like you yeah, need yeah. to have it set in the time period or in the way or tell the story in a way that you can have that big battle. Whereas there isn't a battle in No Brother. Like there isn't in a traditional sense of a battle. Um, so it is about three guys just wandering, trying to get back home. Like you can have more fun with that story. If it was just them wandering through, I was going to say the desert, but it's not the desert. Um, but if it was just them wandering their way back home without all of this fun twists and turns, it would have been a boring story. Right. So. Yeah. I I do find too, like, it's obviously a feature. You haven't read Homer's Odyssey, have you? I haven't. No, okay. We... I love classics. I didn't study classics, though. Oh, okay. So I, I, think, I think I read the Iliad. I don't think I read the Odyssey. Um, but you obviously get this this um structure in the story of like it is kind of episodic like you know every every 10 or 15 minutes it's kind of a new adventure yeah they meet a new side character who takes them off a little bit in a direction and they've got to you know figure it out and then work their way home and in a lot of movies i really don't like that because what ends up happening is you're sort of like well i liked that character like why aren't we just spending more time with that character over there like yeah that storyline was way cooler than this one. And it kind of is a little uneven. Like it, it's one of the features of these types of movies. But in this, I find that's just like, it flows so lovely. I kind of forgot how quick the movie is. Oh yeah. So like I take notes on what's happening and stuff like that. So I can kind of look back and I do have it broken down by every time they meet a new person almost. I was watching it and I was like, oh, I'm over halfway through already. I was like, oh, I forgot how much, like, just fast paced and just fun. <laughs> well, I, I, I sort of forgot that, like, they set up right at the beginning of the movie that they've got, like, three days to get home before they flood the valley um, and they that find this treasure. And so you're sort of like, okay, like, there's there's three days here in your, in your head. Yeah. It's like, that's the timeline that we're working with here. They get home in like two, like yeah. they get home pretty quickly. And then they have like 35, 40 minutes more or less in Everett's like hometown and, you know, on the outskirts of the home, you know what I mean? But yeah. like in the area, we're sort of like, well, they get there quickly. Like this isn't really a movie about like the struggles of getting there. And then they finally get there in the last minutes of the movie. It's like, no, no, they get there. And then, you know, more things happen. And yeah. Sort of like, oh, okay. Like. <laughs> It's not really about the end goal of getting home is not really the end goal of the movie. So we talked about some of the side people that you tend not to like. Do you have a favorite side person that they meet along their way? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, do you? Well, like, I don't, I tend not to like it in other movies. I love it in okay. this movie. Like, yeah. in this movie, it works. <laughs> it definitely works. And it's like one of the better parts of this movie where it's sort of like, 
you get these three clowns just like stumbling into other people's stories, yeah. right? Um, so but who's, who's a favorite side? Big, Big Dan T. Big Dan T, John Goodman's oh, character. Oh, yes. He's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. He's a con man who sells Bibles. Yeah. So already you're sort of like, mm, I don't trust this guy. Um, he, he gets them to buy two lunches. Yeah. They buy him two lunches <laughs> in the same day. And then he robs them. He's like, this guy's great. And, and kills their frog. Oh, he kills the frog, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Those um. things give you warts, though. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, he works at the Coens a lot. It's like, he gets their wavelength, they get his. And you're sort of like, he he just comes in and he's like a tornado. And yeah. he's like, this is fucking fantastic. And, like, until that point, we'll get into him in a minute. But until that point, George Clooney's character had kind of been set up as, like, at least the smartest in this group. Yeah. Maybe not the smartest outside of the group, but the smartest <laughs> of in these this, three of these three. He was the brain. <laughs> he's the brain of the operation. But then you get John Goodman coming in and he's just like running laps around him. And yeah. you're just like, Oh, George Clooney's an idiot. Like if, we, if I didn't know this before, I certainly know it after. And like, yeah, the whole, the whole thing of him beating up Tim Blake Nelson's character with, with the branch. Yeah. And George Clooney's just eating co- corn on the cob being like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. <laughs> and like Dan is just beating the shit out of his buddy. And he's like, hmm, what are you talking about, Dan? Yeah. Like, can you break it down a little bit? And you're just like, oh my God, you're an idiot. An absolute idiot. But yeah, his his whole scene is is great. And then when he comes back later and the... When he comes back later, it's a little bit harder to love him. <laughs> it's a little bit harder to love him when he comes back as a member of the KKK. Um, I do appreciate, though, that like his hood has the eye still covered yeah like why is that necessary uh but sure okay sure. great like you know what i mean but yeah yeah definitely 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 harder to like his character <laughs> the second time he shows up um i really like george the guy that robs the banks oh jordan nelson yeah 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 babyface nelson babyface nelson i really like him because watching it this time the way that you get to meet him, him just kind of driving down the thing and money flying out of his car. You're just like... That's a good entrance. A good entrance. Yeah. But you're like, he's done something. And these three are just kind of like, oh, well, you actually want to go this way and to go right and like just oblivious to it. But then when he goes in and robs the bank and A, nobody in the bank cares. Yeah. Nobody reacts to him. No. And stuff. He's coming in shooting a gun and he everybody's just like, okay, cool. And he's going in being like, he says something and he says his name. And I was just like, maybe don't tell them who you are. Like, No, but that's not, that's not, that's the point though, is you, they wanted fame. Yeah. Like, they wanted to be famous. Um, And so him, and then when he just kind of sulks off and leaves the money and then he appears later at the end as well. Yeah. And just like, okay, poor George. <laughs> so like Babyface Nelson's a real person. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, he was, I don't he think was I like a, that. a real famous bank robber. And he was like, running around John Dillinger and stuff like that, right? And that we, we're not going to do this movie because it's, it's not that good. Okay. Even though I still tend to enjoy it. Um, but Michael Mann made a movie called Public Enemies where it's all about John Dillinger and, and these guys, right? Baby, Babyface Nelson and whatnot. And it's like about the creation of like the FBI with all these bank robbers sort of running around the, okay. the, the country, right? And um, in that movie, I'm pretty certain it's Babyface Nelson. I may be confusing him with another character, but he's played by um, Channing Tatum Oh, in, in that movie. And so I knew Babyface Nelson 
from this movie where, you know, he's, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not going to put him down, but he's not Channing Tatum. Yeah. And so when Channing Tatum <laughs> showed up in the other movie playing the same person, I was like, wait, <laughs> who's babyface Nelson here? Like, and I think, I think it is closer to the Coen brothers. One. Okay. Um, so you're sort of like, oh, okay. And but so, if you have a chance of having Channing Tatum in your movie, you take it. You so. take it. You take it. Um, he doesn't last very long in that movie. I think his, uh, his, his whole inclusion is about three minutes. Poor Channing um, Tatum. But, uh, but yeah, I do remember having that thought when he showed up on screen being like, hold on a minute. I've seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou. And that is not what Babyface Nelson looked like. So yeah, I do, I do remember that thought. But yeah, yeah, it's a, like it's a good few scenes because again... I think if you know who he is, you obviously have some understanding and like he's being chased by the cops. But then there's that thing about the cows where he just starts unloading the gun on the cows. And yeah. You're just like, wait, hold on. Yeah. That, <laughs> what is this guy? I was kind of just like, maybe don't shoot the cows that, you know, haven't done anything to you, but okay. Yeah, but he hates cows. Coppers and cows. He doesn't like them. Doesn't like them. <laughs> doesn't like them. Okay. Let's get, let's get into our main three. Okay. George Clooney. Uh, John Turturro and Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah. What What did you make of our of our trio of of heroes? I didn't remember how smart George Clooney is supposed to sound. I don't, like. I don't know if that's the right eloquent, eloquent, maybe eloquent, eloquent, but also like but still not. dumb, still <laughs> yeah. dumb. Like he still like stumbles over words and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think in comparison to the other two. Like we've said, he's supposed to be the brains. Yeah. And when it's revealed later that he went to jail because he tried to practice law without a license, I was like, well, that makes sense why you try to sound kind of highbrow in a way. But like, I couldn't not watch him. Like George Clooney, anytime the three of them were up there, I was watching him. He's a movie star. He's a movie star. Yeah. Like, you couldn't not watch him. So. Well, and I think that's like. It's one of like the genius parts of the movie and like the Coen brothers and the way they work and whatnot, where it's like, okay, we're making this weird movie based on Homer's Odyssey, where it's going to be like (laughs) Prohibition era South and like, it's going to be strange. It's going to be a strange movie. Like they had the reputation by this time. So like people knew like, okay, it's going to be a little bit out there, but like, they're like, we need a movie star in our main role, in our lead role. We need a movie star to get George Clooney. Perfect. Who they put on either side of him, though, are just, like, top, top, top-notch character actors. Yeah. Where it's, like, they're not necessarily going to get blown off the screen. Like, yes, you're going to be watching Clooney, but they're not going to be blown off the screen. And, like, they're going to get their moments where they're going to shine. And so it really is a a trio of of people that, you know, the whole story revolves around. And I think, like, it's just so smart. Because, like, if you just gotten to regular actors in those roles like they, they're nothing i you they're would nothing. forget who they were yeah like they're like. nothing characters <laughs> but you got john turturro you got tim blake nelson and they you know there's the thing about their heights and like their own yeah. physicality like john turturro is quite big and tim blake nelson's small and so you've got this whole thing going on and they're just so funny they're just, just so funny do you have a favorite out of the three well so i love it when george clooney plays the idiot Really? Yeah, I because he's so handsome. <laughs> That's he is true. so handsome that like it would have been so easy for him to just have this career where he is the handsome suave leading man and you know he always gets the girl 
and he's the coolest of the cool because he he is like yeah. he is a cool person. So when he shows up in movies like this with the Coen brothers, I like even a little bit in the Oceans movies where it's like, yeah, he's the leader of that group, but he's not the cool guy. No. He's not the cool one in the group. That's Rusty. That's Rusty, Brad, Brad, that's Brad, Brad Pitt's Pitt, Brad character. Pitt is the cool guy. He's the cool guy. <laughs> so like they still like, you know, there's the, all the stuff in Oceans 12 where they kind of make fun of how old George Clooney is or how old yeah. they think he is. And so like there's a little bit in there, but he does it a lot with the Coens where um, you know, he's got this or he's got Hail Caesar where he's like, he's a straight up idiot. Like, and so I just, just enjoy that so much because I do genuinely love him when he's playing the suave cool guy. I recently watched Out of Sight for the first time in a few years. Like I I just read the book and so I wanted to rewatch the movie. And he's maybe not the smartest person in that movie either. But when he gets his scenes with Jennifer Lopez where he needs to like seduce Jennifer Lopez... He fucking knocks it out of the park. Okay. And you're like, this is the coolest guy who's ever walked the earth. Yeah. In this movie, he's a fucking loser. Like, he's <laughs> such an idiot. And the only thing he cares about is his hair products. His hair. And, like, he's constantly buying hair nets. And you're just like, this guy's a fucking loser. And I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. <laughs> but, like, to give the other two their due, to give the other two their due, I did find myself during the scene in the movie theater where John Turturro comes sort of, yeah. you, think, you think you think he's been turned into a toad by the sirens. Yes. <laughs> and they think he's been turned into a toad. And so then they think he's dead. Um, and he shows up in the movie theater and he, he recognizes them and, and he starts chanting, or he starts quietly, but also loudly whispering. It's a trap. Do not <laughs> seek the treasure. I did find myself chanting that as he was doing it <laughs> during the movie and then sort of being like what are my what do my neighbors think yeah. is happening over here um but yeah like he's he's so funny and like all of his he's such like um like a sad puppy at times yes um he's got like that sort of physical body thing going on where you're just like oh this guy's he john Turturro's wonderful um but then tim the the line that always makes me laugh and it made me laugh so much this time was when they have released they've they've helped him escape from jail so he's been he gets recaptured john yeah. shuro's character gets recaptured and and put back in jail and they come in and they rescue him and they get him out of jail again and they're you know walking away and john shuro sort of says like listen guys i had to confess about the treasure they know about the treasure it's a trap now that we can't go and get it and george clooney then confesses that there is no treasure yeah and that he because he was chained to them. That's he, why he that's ran why away with them. <laughs> he ran away with them. And like he wouldn't have if he didn't have to, but he had to to get home and stop his ex-wife from marrying a new a new man. Like we've said multiple times, this is the Odyssey. Yeah. Um <laughs> and so we get this whole confrontation, and John Turturro reveals that because he escaped, they've tacked on 50 years yeah. onto his sentence. And he only had two, two months. Weeks. Two, two weeks. weeks. It was two it was weeks. Two weeks left. That always makes me laugh too. We're just like, oh my God, it was two weeks. <laughs> but they've tacked on 50 years and that he won't be a free man until he's 84. Yeah. He gives the year and he's like, I'll be 84 years old. And then there's like a pause and Tim Blake Nelson's standing beside him until Tim Blake Nelson pulls the best, like, there's nothing going on face. Like there's nothing going on inside yeah. face I've ever seen in my life. And then he just 
pipes up, I'll only be 82. And he gets this big <laughs> smile because he's like, in his mind, he's like, well, I'll be younger than Pete. That's not so bad. It's like, yeah, but you'll be 82 years old. You're and already it, two years younger than him. So like, makes, you're always going to be two years younger. It, it makes me laugh so much. The, like the innocence of like, well, that's not so bad. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, dude. But yeah, like I think I find, I find like the three of them work together so perfectly. Yeah. So perfectly. I think if I wasn't watching George Clooney, Tim Blake Nelson is like my second. So like yeah. I just, he's kind of goofy or yeah. something. Yeah. Like, I don't he's, know. He's definitely playing like goofier. Yeah. Um, And like, I think that maybe comes from like, he's definitely playing like a more like innocent character yeah. in terms of like, he just does not know how the world works. Yeah. The other two kind of have an idea a little bit. Tim Blake Nelson's character just is like, wandering through life just like happy that he's alive yeah that's kind of it um but i do i love too when he they show up at the concert at the end of the movie and he just like walks up to the microphone as if it's not a big deal and it just like starts singing a song and he's just like where, where did this come from where did this come from but he's really good yep any any sort of like favorite Clooney moments in the movie or Clooney moments? Just, just, well, like any moments from the three of them that like, you're sort of like, that's the highlight. That's where it really peaks for me. The one that sticks out of my head and like, I was waiting for the scene is them doing their song. Yeah. Like. We could hands... probably, we could probably just go straight into okay. the music. Yeah. yeah. Hands down them doing the song because I have memories of them doing it and George Clooney doing the thing with his wig. I remember that. Um, his beard yeah. wig or whatever. And so when they were singing first in the radio station in the radio st- yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. I was like, oh, I don't remember them doing it here. I remember the second time this happens and stuff. And so I was like, I get to hear them twice. I'm down for it. I love it. So well, for, it's just such a good song. It's, it's such a good song. song. <laughs> and still a good song. Still a good song. I think I might try and add it into Briar's playlist. So well, yeah, that's I've heard that playlist. It <laughs> certainly needs "Man of Constant Sorrow" in there. Um, yeah, I, like the, there's I like I remembered the scene in the in the radio station because the whole thing with the scene at the end of the movie is that like they're famous and they don't even yeah. know that they're famous. Um, and so yeah, I I remember that scene and sort of like the wide eyed naivety of. George, we're sort of like, how did you guys come up with this? Like, yeah, on the spot, did you? <laughs> like, they're they're kind of surprised that it was as good as it was, and it, it sort of worked out for them. Um, but yeah, by by that by that uh, the big concert at the end of the movie, by that moment, they're they're sort of a bit more of a well-oiled machine. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I thought they were just. I didn't realize before like how quick they can be, though. So when they're in the radio station, the host. The owner. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, you'll get $10 or whatever. But you just need to sign the contract. And George Clooney then immediately is like, well, four of us can sign our names, but the other two yeah. just need to do X's. Like, they don't have, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. And like, you're just like, that, like, that was quick. Like, that's yeah. quick thinking. Well, well that, done. That's the, that's the thing. Like, that, when you find out that he was practicing law without a license, you're like, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> He, he might be an idiot, but he's certainly smarter than 95% of people that he's probably hanging out with. You know what I mean? Like, 
he is he they, they all got out of jail like they, yeah. they, they are criminals <laughs> so like the fact that they con a blind elderly radio sta- uh, radio uh station owner it's sort of like yeah it does fit it you know what I mean? like you know they they do it in a way where you sort of like still like them but yeah. like yeah, they are kind of robbing him. Um, <laughs> and then the other song scene that always sticks in my head is the three women. The like, sirens. The, the siren yeah. one. Yeah. But yeah, so I was... Still, like, I've seen this movie a few times now. And not, like, certainly when I was younger and I watched this movie, I was sort of like, I don't really get that scene. Um, but there's still a part of me where it's sort of like, I don't really get that scene. <laughs> like, what was their plan? Like, they got all three of them drunk. Yeah. And then they obviously dragged pete to the cops and and handed him back into the cops were they gonna come back and take the other two into the yeah. cops like yeah. and like they just woke up yeah was that the idea yeah okay yeah get the other like, two in because they got money right they yeah but i was, so, I was sort of like would you not try and take all three of them together i don't think these three women could have moved like, them yeah mm. each take i don't think Possibly. One woman would have been able to take one man by herself. Possibly. Okay. okay. So Fair enough. Fair enough. probably would have taken all three to move one person. And then we get the toad scene. <laughs> and then you get the toad scene because of it. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. There are obviously like, there's little details in like how much of this is, is real and how much of it was maybe by accident. Like the Coen brothers are, are master filmmakers. They do know exactly what they're doing. So I got to give them benefit of the doubt. But in that scene where they wake up, where Tim Blake Nelson and George Clooney wake up at the side of the river and yeah. Pete's gone, they are all like splayed out the exact same ways. But Tim Blake Nelson and George Clooney's characters, I think their hats are on the ground, like the right way up. Whereas oh, okay. whereas Pete's hat is upside down. Oh. And so I caught that this time. And I was sort of like, I wonder if that's a thing or... Yeah. Was it, you know what I mean? Like a coincidence sort of like, or something. Yeah. You yeah. don't, you don't necessarily want to like attribute too many things to sort of be like, Oh, like this, this shot means this. Yeah. You know I mean? Like that's kind of not great film analysis. Um, but there, there was still a part of me where it's sort of like, I know that these two guys are like great, great filmmakers and nothing in their frame is probably by accident, but you're sort of like, what are they trying to tell us here? Yeah. You know, but, oh. you know, but it was, it was just interesting that I, I caught that this time. Cause I was like, they they do like three or four shots of all the characters and you're sort of like they are quite clearly showing us this is how this character looks, this is how this character looks, and then there's what should be Pete's character. Yeah. Uh what should be John Turturro's character. And you're sort of like, oh, the hats. Hmm. Try and find something new every time. This is what I'm saying. The coin you can go back yeah. endless amounts of times with them. Obviously with the with the music, that's the whole reason we're doing this episode this week. Yeah. <laughs> is I think like, I just remember this soundtrack being, like, the biggest deal at the time. And, like, people would have the soundtrack without having seen the movie. And, like, it was... And it's all, like, early 20th century Americana folk music. And you're just like, why? Like, how, yeah. how did this become a big thing? But well, it did. I think I think when I was reading the tri- the trivia about it, they didn't expect the soundtrack to kind of blow up. Like they were just like, it's the songs in the movie or whatever. And so then when this constant sorrow, um, song became like the top song of the billboards and stayed there for a while, everybody was like, Oh, Oh, like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, 
So, but I think we definitely had it on some of our mix oh, CDs. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, remember, I think it was our, a family friend of ours had it and yeah. like let us borrow it. And I just remember like Statute of Limitations is definitely over. But I just remember burning that song <laughs> on the many, many CDs, many, many CDs. But yeah, like I think it's it's just an interesting thing with the Coens because like at this stage, like while they were definitely, they were definitely a big name in sort of like indie American filmmaking circles. Like, you know, like Fargo was a bit of a hit, you know, the big Lebowski, like they would get big actors to be in their movies, but their movies never really made that much money. Yeah. Um, this might be one of the first instances where it was sort of like they crossed over into the mainstream. And then it wasn't very long after that they had things like No Country for Old Men, which was like the biggest success. And then, you know, you get movie after movie subsequently after that. And you're sort of like, oh, like they're now just two of the biggest filmmakers going. Yeah. Do they have kind of this movie makes it feel like they have kind of a love of music because I would say music is almost a fourth character at some points. Other movies of theirs, do they have kind of the same love of music in them or? Well, I think like it comes and goes like they don't, they make like genre movies, but like okay. with like a little bit of a bent, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. make like a lot of like detective movies or like crime movies. But then like I was saying, like they also make like wild comedies. Yeah. And so like, I think they definitely have like, there's definitely moments in their movies where it's like, you know, that music and that moment are now indelible. Like yeah. I, I won't forget that you know what i mean like there's there's straight up from uh blood simple which is their first movie like there are scenes in that where it's like that song and that image that's it i'll whenever never you, i'll never you hear that yeah, song i'll never not see that now you know what i mean but i don't think that they ever had a movie like this where like so much was about the music like yeah. finding the right music for scenes finding the right music for montages things like that where it's like this all needs to fit and like I think they they crushed it like they absolutely was perfect, um, and then of course they they go the opposite direction with No Country for Old Men where I don't think there's any music in that movie. Oh really? Because it's like it's a desert chase movie, and it's like they're not going to use mu- music to make it thrilling because yeah. it can be kind of scary. Like you know what I mean? Like so yeah, like it's just why they're so good. Like they can they can quite literally do anything yeah. that they want to do. Wrapping up, is there is there any like parts of the movie that you're still a little like unsure of that don't necessarily maybe don't work for you like what's you know if you had to throw a criticism at the movie what would you <laughs> what would you throw um the one scene thinking out about it now like it makes sense for the time period the kkk scene is kind of like it's not eh, it's not great it's not, not, it's not great it's not lovely not lovely i think they try to make it, it funny they like yeah Right? So, like, when the three... Because it's the three of them, yeah, by this point. And again, they save Tommy. And they save Tommy. Yeah. Like, when they first come up onto the KKK, they are doing kind of a big fire dance idea. Um, and then I think they do a bit of marching that was kind of Hitler-esque marching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and stuff. So, I, I can appreciate that they tried to make the scene funny. But, yeah, kind of, you know... I think for for the time and the place the movie's set in... Makes sense. You, you have pr- to... You probably do need to include, yeah. unfortunately, because it's sort of like, if you didn't, then it would sort of be like, why isn't there that yeah. there? You know what I mean? On the Like the whole thing about the, the politician being 
the the leader where it's sort of like okay like that unfortunately does check See, out yeah like that feels plausible uh but yeah like i i i get you like there there is a there's a moment in the kkk scene where when they cut the um the wires for the cross and yeah. the cross starts to fall there's like a very quick shot of like a horse turning around and like watching it and being like Whoa. and like every time i'm sort of like eh, like i don't want, i don't love that like it feels like okay. like dr doolittle-ish where it's sort of like oh now the animals are characters like okay. I, I don't love it but yeah they're, they're yeah it's not Do great you, what's your criticism do you have one no, I don't have one. Just, no? No, no, no. Okay. No, I love this movie. This okay. is like, this is one of my, I think this is in my top five Coen Brothers, like kind of no notes. Oh, okay. No notes, guys. Like, you know, you've made 18 movies and this is, I think, four or five. Like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff, guys. <laughs> you, you knocked it out of the park on this one. Any, any sort of last closing thoughts, closing ideas? No, just like I said at the beginning of this episode. Briar was sick last week, and so, like, this was the perfect movie to watch on a Friday night after having a long week with her. Like, it was just that fun musical movie that I needed, so. Well, to tease next week, I got another perfect Friday night movie for you. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a Friday night movie, so. Haunted House, <laughs> Ghosts. Yeah, I think this is going to be a wild... Weird English Kids. Yeah, I think this is a middle-of-the-day watch when uh, Briar's asleep, so. Scary across the board. <laughs> fucking terrified <laughs> yeah so next week we're, we're doing it's it's a um it's a horror movie it's definitely a horror movie it wants to be a horror movie it definitely is one it's the one that i've given you for the month yeah so. and it's it's one that i do remember we, we kind of need to get out of this like like last week this week and i think the next two weeks are all within like the same one or two years okay so we kind of need to get out of this but like we're we're stuck here for now um but i remember watching this movie as well at like 12 or 13. Oh, okay. And just sort of being like, mm, I don't get it. And then I've, I've like I've said in this episode, like I, I felt like that way about a lot of movies that I watched this time where you're sort of like, you're watching adult movies, but I was not and nowhere near an adult. Like, so I could not understand some of the things that they were trying to convey. With a lot of those movies, I then went back and watched them again and was sort of like, oh, okay. I get it. Now I'm, yeah. I'm figuring it out. This is one of the ones where over the years, this movie has popped up a lot in terms of like the best horror movies of the 2000s, the best horror movie, the 2000s, like all these lists and, you know, it's been reappraised and all this sort of stuff. And I never went back and watched it. And so that's when we were sort of talking about what horror movies would we do. I was sort of like, oh, this might be a really good opportunity for me to go back and rewatch re this movie okay. for the first time in 20 years and um and just sort of be like like let me see if i can crack this a little bit because i do i have distinct memories of sort of being like didn't really work for me uh but i was also a 13 year old kid. yeah so like that's not where this movie was that's not the audience that this movie was pitching to so we'll see we'll see you next week see you then